Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to Think About It with me, Victoria Azarenka. On today's episode, we have Dr. Rupi Aguila. Rupi is a London-based doctor who transformed his diet when he was diagnosed with an irregular heartbeat, which led him to create the doctor's kitchen. And I'm really excited that in this episode, I learned how to better balance my health in a hectic lifestyle. Our conversation is full of information and I loved the personal stories he shared. I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Well, Rupi, thank you so much for being on my show. It's such a pleasure um, to talk to you. I'm really excited. I've um, worked really hard on preparing my notes and uh, watching some of your videos, your TED Talks, so I hope I'm informed quite a bit. Honestly, it's a pleasure, and I, I can't wait to chat to you. I've been a fan for a little while now, so uh, yeah, no, it's an absolute privilege. And uh, to, to know that you've watched my TED Talk as well is uh, giving me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was very impressive. The idea of this show is to, to learn learn from from other people and get get to know them so i try to have as open conversations as possible um and myself included one of the main topics i want to um you know kind of learn as well is i have a i have a son who is four years old you know and and i try to learn what are the best ways to educate him and one of the uh, ways I believe the most efficient is being a role model, you know, to him and, and, and show rather than just say. So I want to learn about things, you know, nutrition, I feel like, and food, because that's what um, I believe your one of the, your main uh, points that you're working on is, is integrating nutrition into, uh, into medicine more. Yeah. And and it's it's really fascinating to me. What I'm trying to do in in medicine over here in the UK is introduce the concept of culinary medicine where we upskill doctors to talk confidently about nutrition in a way that is inclusive and respectful for people's backgrounds as well. So I, I'm privileged to work in the NHS in the, in London. I, I have patients from all different types of backgrounds, whether it be Chinese, Korean, Indian, African. You know, I can't be giving them a kale salad or suggesting like a, the same sort of recipe to everyone. You've got to be respectful of their backgrounds. And and particularly particularly when it comes to kids, and I know you've got um, a baby boy Leo who's who's beautiful. I've seen him, and he's got his own Instagram account as well, which is awesome. Um, you know, with kids, I, I just think we need to introduce like the playful aspect of food, the 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 knowledge of where food comes from, the importance of soil, because these this generation of, of kids are going to be the new activists that promote a healthy planet as well as healthy bodies on a healthy planet. And so trying to get that into schools is, as well as medical schools is something that I'm trying to work on via the nonprofits as well. And I want to get back to this, uh, you know, to all this about kids and stuff, but I want to know a bit more of your background because I started with the word diet because what I've 
uh, learn from from watching some of the videos and stuff the way you talk about it is changing your lifestyle so basically mm. you have changed really your lifestyle from an unfortunate thing that happened to you which became in a way a blessing right my story really starts as being a patient right so i qualified as the doctor over a decade ago and three months into the job you can imagine stressful lifestyle night shifts uh constantly you know working late as well i my diet just went out the window the way i was eating went out the window so i can't imagine this i'm scared of blood so i can't even imagine what what, what you're doing so <laughs> it's funny because like you know as a junior you 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 really don't know what it's like you're just thrown into the deep end and suddenly you have this rotor suddenly you have a bleep that just doesn't stop doesn't stop making noise and you're constantly like you know running around the wards and I was really lucky because I, I worked in a big hospital and I got loads of experience, but man, I was stressed. I was super stressed and I wasn't eating right. You know, I was just eating cereal and canteen sandwiches and the food in hospitals as it is, you know, in America and, and most healthcare systems is terrible. Um, and three months into the job, I was working on a late shift. I was answering a bleep and I f my heart was just beating super fast to the point where I thought at one point I was going to pass out and I was pretty embarrassed but I went to my, my boss and I spoke to her and I was like look would you mind feeling my pulse I feel like I'm going pretty fast right now and within half an hour my bleep was taken off clothes taken off put into a hospital gown parked in a hospital bed connected to a cardiac monitor right next to a patient I'd literally been seeing earlier that day. And this this poor lady was really confused about like, you know, why her doctor was a patient next to her now. Um, but that that was the first atrial fibrillation episode I had. And atrial fibrillation, just, just for your, your viewers and listeners, is a condition where your heart beats irregularly and very fast, as is my case. So I was going at 200 beats per minute. I would have these episodes two to three times a week uh, for the next year. Um, and it was, you know, I experienced what it was like to be a patient. It was frustrating. It was scary. Uh, it, it wasn't a good time. And, and I wanted to continue with my medical career. So I went through all the investigations, as you can imagine. I saw my cardiologists. I had electrophysiology studies. I had wires that were passed into the heart to check if there was a re-entry pathway. Long story short, I was offered something called an ablation, and that's where you actually burn an area uh, around a part of the heart to stop this misfiring of cells. And everybody told me that's definitely the way forward. I should 100% go for that. I was a new doctor, so you know I had some really good doctors telling me this, and. I sought a lot of advice. But the one person who said, I really need to look at my diet and my lifestyle was my mum, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's not a doctor. She's not um, medically trained at all. She just grew up in an Indian household and had that sort of typical Indian upbringing where you've got to look at the environment of your body as well as, you know, looking at other things like medications. And so, honestly, to appease her, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to look at my diet and, and what I was eating and, and how I was living. And it was a combination of increasing plant fibers, reducing the junk that I was eating, focusing on sleep, starting my meditation regime again, 
and uh, just moving my body every single day in a way that was comfortable for me considering my hectic lifestyle. And within a year and a half, my AF episodes went from zero, uh, went from two to three times a week to zero. Um, yeah, and that, that really just opened my eyes up into the power of food. And I started just doing a lot more research into the, the clinical evidence, the academic studies, um, and having more open, honest conversations with my patients about how food could potentially help with them as well. So that was the start of the journey, and it's been an incredible one since then. Did your opinion change about those doctors who told you otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> was funny. I still see my cardiologist right, and I, I now have the confidence to tell them. I was like, you know, I was, I did this, and this is what happens. And they're like, well, you know, these things can happen. You might be, you're one of the odd ones. It's, it takes a lot of convincing for the medical practitioners with reason to change the ways because we can be quite stuck in our ways. And I was a skeptic as well. And you know, if this hadn't happened to me, I don't know, I might've been skeptical, but now like once, you, once you've seen the evidence, once you know the data, you you can't turn a blind eye to this. And that's why I'm shouting about it from the rooftops and telling people to like take control of, of, their, of you know, what they eat, but also recognize the beauty of, of eating as well because it's such an important part of living. Yeah, and, and I would say that a lot of times uh, doctors are not a great, great example, especially, you know, when there's cardiologists telling you your cholesterol is high or you need to do this and... You see a cardiologist not really taking good care of yourself. So it's a bit like a hypocrisy. It's like a fitness trainer is going to tell you to lose weight when he's overweight. And you're like, yeah, really? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if your methods work because yeah. <laughs> by looking at you, I don't know. I'm not going to trust you. So it's, it's kind of a um, similar way. And do you believe that that is important um, for that part of convincing that you are talking about for a patient to have a bit more trust um, into what you're saying. Because to me, I, I feel like that's very, very critical. If you are, uh, you know, aware maybe of uh, situations, you want to be obviously open-minded and listen to advice. And sometimes, you know, there's no other way that having, uh, you know, um, actual medicine. Um, but I feel like there's a, always a lot more ways and when you were talking about, you know, you don't particularly just say it's food. It's also, you know, your uh, stress uh, management, your sleep, meditation. And, and I would say exercise is probably one of the top um, categories there because, uh, you know, movement is, is medicine. I, I believe that whenever you are not feeling well, you know, you got to get that oxygen in your body and, and move right. And a lot of people just don't want to. Um, maybe push themselves. So it's 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 always it's, it's a package. So uh, just just tell me what you think about like the, being like an example of giving advice to someone. How do your patients react maybe to you after your transformation rather than before? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point, uh, Vika, you're making because the, the some of the most vulnerable people who need this advice are actually medical practitioners themselves and they don't a lot of them don't see it right now which is why i spend a lot of my time speaking to different healthcare practitioners in different environments across the country and globally as well and just telling them look you need to look after yourselves before you allow yourselves to 
look after other people and run yourself down because of it. And, you know, over overworked night shifts, changes to your circadian rhythm, not having the opportunity to exercise, losing the motivation to exercise. These are all things that medical practitioners, nurses, even the administrative staff, as well as doctors and all the other people, they all suffer from, which is why, and this is really scary, we're more likely to suffer cardiovascular disease. We're more likely to suffer depression. We're more likely to have obesity and type 2 diabetes, right? We, we live shorter lives. So we actually need to be talking to doctors a lot more and, and other medical practitioners a lot more about healthy eating. And it is changing now. And, you know, as someone who changed their own lifestyle and is now motivated to shout about it, we need more of me essentially and that's what we're doing with you know some of the work i'm doing in medical school education teaching doctors not only about nutrition but also how to cook and also how to motivate people to do all those different things and what you were picking up on there 100 percent exercise is medicine sleep is medicine mindfulness is medicine but also sense of purpose and community these are all medicinal aspects of lifestyle medicine 360 is is the way I, I take it and people start at various points so for me it was nutrition um but actually you know a combination of all those different things may have led to me overcoming my own condition it isn't to say that everyone's going to have that impact but you know this is a big thing like you said it's it's almost like you need to start with the foundation before we start lowering medications and other interventions on top of that totally Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Even when you're in an airplane, right? And they say, first you put your life jacket on you and then you help somebody yes. else. So that's kind of like, you know, a very um, uh, simple way of, of explaining. If you can't really take care of yourself, taking care of somebody else makes it so much harder. An interesting point that you guys learn so many, many things in medical school, right? But like taking care of yourself is not one of them. And the point that, and uh, your mission of what you're trying to do is integrating again, the education of nutrition um, to, uh, to medicine is so important. And it makes it so much bigger because overall, I feel like nutrition became very small part of medicine. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And you do explain uh, that you integrated not only nutritional classes, but the cooking cooking classes. Mm. First of all, the pandemic has made us all realize that self-care is a huge, huge part. And a lot of healthcare systems are scrambling to try and find out how we can look after medical practitioners and also encourage self-care. It's, it's very late in the game, but at least, you know, something's happening now. With the nonprofit that I started uh, called Coloring Medicine, um, that was really out of frustration because nobody in the UK was really spearheading this, right? So you had loads of organizations saying, yeah, doctors don't get taught nutrition, nurses don't get taught nutrition, let's write a paper about it and let's have a few more meetings and discussions. And no one, at the same time, 
a recent paper came out just two years ago five hours is how much nutrition training doctors get in the context of a six-year degree and it's like what on earth is going on so and that nutrition training i should should say is not like practical nutrition it's not as if like you know you walked into the doctor's office and you're like oh well, should i be eating today i've got the skin problem it's like no it's like what you should be giving via an iv bag to a patient who's in the intensive care unit that kind of nutrition i basically learned a lot from some american uh hospitals actually Tulane medical school columbia even harvard have a culinary medicine program where they actually teach not only the foundations of nutrition, but also they teach their medical students how to cook in a culinary school environment. And I remember thinking, this is amazing. I'm going to start this. I put some of my own money into it. I put a social media post out. I bribed people with food. I was like, look, I've got no money to pay you, but you can come to my house and we can have meetings here and I'll cook all the food. Um, and I got like dietitians, other doctors involved, some nurses, um, the cooks, the chefs were amazing. We now fast forward a couple of years. We're in two medical schools, Bristol and UCL in London. Uh, we're teaching as part of their compulsory medical education, um, a couple of sessions in the kitchen where we teach them how to make a recipe. We, we personalize it according to a case. So Mr. X comes in, 42-year-old, blood pressure, type 2 diabetes. This is his background. This is what he's currently eating. How do you make small changes to this guy's lifestyle to improve his outcomes? Because we know what you choose to eat and how you choose to live has a massive impact on their livelihoods going forward. Um, and also, to your point about food security, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is a massive issue, uh, even in seemingly rich countries like the uk we have four million people reliant on food banks which for one of the richest countries in the world is is really really embarrassing and it just shouldn't be like this this is crazy um and so we actually uh have recipes that our, our chefs have created to cook nutritious meals from what you would typically find in a food bank as well so if doctors sit and i see these types of patients come in all the time you know, if you're ever involved in this and, you, and you're trying to say, well, you have, have a kale salad. No, you know, beans, lentils, legumes, the cheap items. And often you'll find the cheapest ingredients on the shelf are the most nutritionally dense as well. So it's amazing to get everyone in this conversation, dietitians, chefs and doctors and creating that collaboration is, yeah, that, that's definitely the way forward. You know, I will, I will share one personal story with you. Uh, I grew up we were uh we were pretty poor so mm. um i i know what's what it's like to be hungry i mm. know what it's like to finish your meal because you don't leave anything on the plate and you eat fast so um i know i know this and you know i i grew up in belarus it's we have you know quite cold winters where uh, ability to get fresh vegetables and fresh fruits in the winter is is very challenging and it's mm -hmm. it's very expensive so what i remember is uh my grandma and my mom growing you know onions and green onions in little glass jars and and you eat those uh i remember uh going to my grandma's you know dacha which is called like a little country house which is not even a house more like a tent uh, mm -hmm and growing your own vegetables and understanding the soil, how to uh, 
I know how to milk a goat. I haven't done it since I was a kid, but I've learned <laughs> all those things. And those are more, most nutritious things you can, you can get. It's fresh. It's off of your garden and, and stuff. But what my parents has done um, is a lot of um, uh, canning of the foods, mm. you know, so we could get those vegetables and uh, fruits and like jam from your own like apples or whatever. So we would have over maybe like 300 liters of food for winter to stock up so we could, you know, we, we could get uh, nutritional food. And though th that method is not expensive because you are able to buy vegetables in season. So you can buy it in bulk. You prepare, it's a lot of work, obviously, yeah. but you're able to kind of sustain yourself on uh, pretty good level and I'm very proud that my parents you know kind of found that way and we still do this like to, to this day my mom still does you know tomatoes and uh, peppers and uh, and uh, cucumbers and cabbage and sauerkraut now is yeah. the biggest thing ever and I mean we've I grew up on that because that's what grandma always always does yeah. so it's kind of like an interesting way and I wanted to share that uh, that um, kind of story because it's it i think a lot of people feel like well it's it's easy for you to do that you know because you know you have money now you have this you have access but for us it's hard and mm. and i and i and i say yes it's definitely hard but there's a way where you can find uh maybe to help a little bit more maybe it's not going to be completely good but there's you know the balance of it if it's if it's if it's even 30 percent, 40 percent, that makes it so much better than than what it, um than zero and uh, honestly Vika, that story melts my heart the fact that you you your family were all involved in that sort of cooking process my dad would go in a forest and pick up mushrooms and then we dry mushrooms and then you can recook them and then you can make powder so yeah, so yeah. many ways where you can i know how to live on the budget <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> those valuable those valuable lessons but the nutrition part of that like as I, as I said like you know the sauerkraut like yeah it's huge that in us now the jar is like 25 dollars, and i was like you can make it for a dollar like are you kidding me you you sell this for 25 dollars? it's a ripoff this is yeah. this is crime like to do that this is crime <laughs> yeah it's and the biggest thing there i mean is education because people don't see how they can even make that right like the fact that you can make things like kimchi and sauerkrauts and kefir super cheap but it's the time you need and it's the education you need so you know nowadays we've lost that and it goes back to what we were saying about kids right we've lost that connection with food in schools we're not taught how to cook we're not taught about the value of cooking and you know it's so trendy to have sauerkrauts and ferments now, but this is kind of what sustained us throughout civilization because without that knowledge being passed down, we wouldn't have survived through the winters. We wouldn't have survived without fresh vegetables and stuff. It sounds like what you cook in your house sounds amazing as well. Like what does the typical meal look like in the, in the Vika household? <laughs> my, my family is all about food and now we have, you know, we have a garden that is, like all kinds of vegetables and all kinds of fruit and uh so i i really i really love that aspect and i take and i when i took my son 
back home also um he loved like watering all the you know fruits and berries and you pick up yeah. you know you go in the summer and like my mom grows these berries and she's so proud of it like her she like weighs her tomatoes and then she's like look this one is like 400 grams one tomato <laughs> i'm like okay mom <laughs> that's good that's good but she's so proud of it and and it's amazing and because i've been just talking to one of my coaches today about this how small the education is in school how bad the food is in school and it hurts mm. it, and it hurts me like how am i gonna send my son and he's gonna have a choice between pizza and a hot dog like that's not mm. gonna be the choice he's gonna come with a lunchbox and i'm gonna be yeah. one of those moms that you're gonna make you bring your lunchbox with you yeah. to school um but my mom and, was and, one of those moms as well to be honest so. well you know what it's it's we, I'll, I'll win this battle we'll we'll talk yeah. about the other ones but this one i'll win um and but the idea of kids not knowing and in the states um because my i live in the states partly now and my son is half american so i'm a bit worried because i've 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 heard kids when you ask them where the milk comes from and they say from carton and i was like mm. what <laughs> well this is the world we live in right i think in exactly what you're doing right now is having aspirational figures that are killing it on the tennis court or killing it in different sort of you know competitive arenas who are talking about yeah i i know how to ferment i know how to create my own sauerkraut i did you know amazing stuff for my family and this is the kind of stuff that we eat now and actually making vegetables cool. So people think, you know, if I want to get to a point where I feel better in my in my body and not just aesthetically, but I feel better in my mind and I'm able to perform at this kind of elite level, I've got to start learning about, you know, how to fuel myself uh, for, from a health perspective rather than just from, you know, uh, an aesthetic uh, point of view. So I, th I think def definitely having this in, in schools is brilliant. Um, and who knows, one day there'll be a commercial where people talk about, you know, uh, broccoli and, and corn and like all these amazing accessible ingredients that we should know how to cook. So what's like a, a comfort meal for you? I'm really interested in like how you're eating when you were a kid and like what, what's like a bowl of comfort food? You know... I'm not gonna sit here and be like all oh, that I don't like junk food. I do, yeah. but and I love Nutella. I love Nutella. Who doesn't love Nutella? Come on. Yeah, and so that's gonna be like bread and Nutella is is one thing um, for me. It's um, but but it's, it's I feel like it's just about balance because I you need to have guilty pleasures. You need to to feel good you need to enjoy food and and you know what from for myself personally i've tried many diets i talked mm. about uh, many many diets i even was on raw diet i was on i was I, I probably the only person in the world who went on a vegan diet and gained weight because <laughs> no way. I, yes i think i'm the only one because i was so hungry all the time <laughs> it just didn't work for me but i was like okay so I started eating more nuts because, you know, yeah. like nuts is healthy for you, but not in quantities. That, and I gained weight and I was like, no, like, how, wow. how is this possible? I was so frustrated because I, 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 I'm the one person who wanted to be 
on the diet, you know, for a sport. And, mm. and I was exercising a lot and it was stressing me out because I kept cutting myself off of the things that I like. So, mm. and then it's just like, okay. And then it's like, okay, I'll just have something. And then it's harder to stop. And I, and I wasn't even, I eat more now than I used to eat before. And not that I was like, you know, out of overweight or something, but I didn't really feel good. I didn't feel like the food was making me better to, to perform. And look is also important to me, but that was like a secondary, uh, more of a secondary, how you feel and the energy that you, that you can. And for athletes, you know, that, that percentage, a uh, little percentage of advantage is so important. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I've learned the most simple way i've tried all the nutritions i've read read so many books about food and, and and stuff and then someone told me like think about your body as a fire you know you have to always put a little bit to make the fire keep going just be mindful you can't put you know um bad things to start the fire just put good things and then and then balance just enjoy a little bit of what i want what i see it started to like change for me and I love, I love to cook. I like to cook fish. My, my house, I'll probably um, have to like, when I'm in London, I'm going to come because I need to try your food because it sounds amazing, <laughs> but maybe we'll do a trade off and I can cook one meal, one meal as well. Cause this, yeah, is, we'll my, this is my best one. This is my best one. I cook the Chilean sea bass. I make it okay. like a bit sweet, a bit, a bit sour. And everybody who has tried it loved it so far. So I'll need some more of a professional uh, judgment. <laughs> well, it sounds pretty good. I do like Chilean sea bass and I do like the, the sweet salty combinations. That's nice. <laughs> but I'm interested in knowing like what you, you talked about, like trying all these different diets, right? What, what was the motivation for trying all these different diets? What were you trying to achieve back then? And what are you, and, and how is your sort of, your, your method of eating, influ how, how has that influenced your method of eating now? Before it was like, honestly, I had, didn't have a great coach who told me that I was overweight and I need to lose weight. So oh, wow. that wasn't, that was not a great example. Uh, and so I was like, yeah. And so it made me even more stressed, you know? So it yeah. made me more stressed and like, that was like one of the questions I wanted to also ask you is like how much people, stress eating mm. um like comfort you know for comfort and stuff and then when i was when i was pregnant with my baby i actually lost weight when really? i while i was wow. pregnant not like like in in general and it was it was really it was really interesting but i was just trying to listen more to what i want and i feel like once you kind of can attune a little bit more that's where you kind of feel what your body needs like yeah. and it's not only in terms of food like you if you need a little bit more sleep or you need a little bit of time like we just have so many distractions all around yeah. that it's hard to kind of like focus on you and what you need um and i feel like that's really important because that those little like changes helps you to um to to go into um into a li like a lifestyle rather than a diet so i i forgot the word diet for me i said yeah. don't come to me with, with that word it's i'm gonna eat what i what i want to eat i know food enough to be aware of what i need it's interesting i i, I like 
I, I love asking this question uh, of people, specifically you, because it's it's amazing how much misinformation there is out there, right? And the fact that you've gone from diet to diet to diet and you've come out a lot more sort of um, knowledgeable about it is great. It shows how, how in tune you are with everything because a lot of people are just confused. And that's why I get asked about, you know, should I go on keto? Should I reduce my carbs? Should I be eating this food? What about that superfood? And you're like, look, what you just said there, making sure you're getting a variety of all of them. You're eating loads of plants, lots of colors, quality fats fiber is like the forgotten macronutrient of of the current situation everyone's going on about protein and specific ingredients and we're actually instead of thinking about food as feeding yourself maybe we should think about food as feeding our microbes what do your microbes that live largely in your gut but all over your body and consisting mainly of bacteria but also viruses nematodes fungi what do those guys want because they are going to be digesting micronutrient for you, creating energy for you, regulating your sugar, regulating your immune system and your inflammation levels as well. So think about it from the perspective of how can I feed them better so they can serve me better as well. And and when you start thinking like that, it's like, oh, I, do, I want variety. I want to, you know, I don't want to restrict it. I don't want to like, you know, just cut calories for these reasons. And you'll feel so much better in your mind, your body, everything. It's just... it that we need to reframe our, 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 the way we think about food. To your point about stress, it, you know, if, you, if you're constantly thinking about food in this way, it's super, super stressful. And the number of like people who come in and see me and they're like, oh, you know, they're asking all these different questions. They're super com- uh, confused because of what they've heard on the news. You know, it's, it's almost like an epidemic um, uh, of misinformation. We just need simple principles and if you teach them at school, that's how we get rid of this sort of nonsense diet culture. Yeah, it's it's like always there's always this trends like for something, mm. and the most you know crazy one recently, and it, and it's been in tennis and it's been like in sports. It's like, oh, this person went gluten free. Oh, if I go gluten free, I'll be like, oh, I'll be the yeah. next Djokovic, and I'm like, yeah wait, do you need to go gluten-free? Like, yeah. are you allergic to gluten? Or yeah. they're like, no. Well, I was like, what? then what are you talking about? Then why? Yeah, exactly. Why? Like, yeah. athletes, when we put something out there mm. in terms of health and sport, it's being an example, you know? And a lot of people look, oh, LeBron James also went gluten-free or he doesn't eat meat or Kyrie Irving like didn't eat meat and you're like, oh, I'm not going to eat meat. I'm going to be like Kyrie Irving. Like, no, you're not going to be like (laughs) Kyrie Irving. So it's just like those trends are so frustrating in a way Mm -hmm. that because you see so many people get influenced. It's interesting, isn't it? Because people don't recognize just how unique we are. And just because you go gluten-free, because, you know, a tennis player has an intolerance and they feel better and they attribute it to, to whatever, you know, dietary change they mean, does not necessarily mean that it's going to happen, the same thing's going to happen for you. And even like looking at myself, for an example, just because I improved my diet and lifestyle and I was able to overcome my own medical condition doesn't mean that my patients with a similar thing are going to have the same outcome because they have different inputs and stuff. So first of all, everyone recognizing 
that we are not from the same conveyor belt and we are unique in our needs, you know, depending on whether you're a pro tennis player or not, or whether, you know, you're uh, a busy mom with three kids or whatever, you know, you have to recognize your uniqueness. I hope we can get over, you know, this, oh, so-and-so eats this way, so I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna follow suit. I think we saw that quite a bit with the whole vegan um, things, particularly with, you know, the movies that came out. There's a police car going past. Um, I live near the hospital, so. Um, with, uh, with movies that came out and stuff that glamorized it. And I agree, you know, the more plants, the better. But just because somebody excelled on a purely plant-based diet doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the same outcome. And actually, you might even have a detrimental outcome, as I've seen with patients who come in and they're deficient. And, you know, we have to have a pragmatic conversation about what they should be eating and whether they should be supplementing if they choose to continue on that way of eating because of ethical considerations which are you know more than valid these days i mean the importance of like different body types of people like certain yeah. people just you know i think it's it's kind of bringing it back to like aesthetics that people are so much focused on aesthetics and it's just like you're just not going to be the same you know like um like somebody else it's just about you know good habits uh good health and kind of moving forward where are we going to go forward because that conversation is is getting lost in in all of the sensitivity with people yeah i know it, it's i i try and tackle these conversations through the lens of uh you know a, a doctor and someone who has to be honest with the person in front of them right so i think on the on on one hand you ha we have to encourage people to identify with themselves, love themselves, be compassionate with themselves, particularly in an era where we're seeing, honestly, like so much loneliness, so much self-deprecating behavior and so much comparison that's fueled by tools like social media, right? And I, and I hope that's gonna be a trend that actually phases out in the future and our, our, our overuse of social media. It's got really great things, but it's also got a negative connotation that kind of capitalizes on our weaknesses in human psychology. But on the other hand, I can't, you know, hand on heart with someone in front of me say you are a healthy way or you have healthy behaviors because, you know, we know what the associations are between excess weight and cardiovascular conditions all the all the other things i can list we know the associations with mental health as well so we definitely need to be moving people towards healthy lifestyles and eating better and yes loving whatever body shape they are as long as it's in the context of attaining those healthy habits because otherwise if it's just self-loving and, and, and you know for fear of not shaming so for fear of shaming and for fear of like virtue signaling that we're just going to ignore the the elephant in the room, so to speak, you know, we, we can't have these conversations going forward and they need to be happy, particularly at a time right now where we need to start looking after us because we know like how vulnerable we are, we are as a human race. Exactly. And that's the point of where you want to like kind of make a better statement of Part of that is is not just it, it is about loving yourself. So it is about making sure that you do everything to be the best that you that you can to be the as healthier as you can. And you yeah. can't kind of ignore those those conversations 
for and just just pretend like we're just gonna accept everything 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 there is because and and uh you know it's, it's again it's like by by being an example and one of the things sometimes it's a bit harder um to to see and for example i'm gonna go back to like to kids because that's what i feel a responsibility a lot of kids are watching what i do mm -hmm. uh, my son is gonna watch what i do so i'm uh, trying to be the most mindful uh as i can i try to cuss less but it's very very hard <laughs> for me <laughs> but in terms of nutrition you know there's this um uh kind of uh not not the trend but a pattern of athletes drinking energy drinks right where you where you yeah. put that like car carbohydrates and stuff but you do that for performance yeah you do that to increase your performance because you do need those uh nutrients and elements of the drink to be able to perform when you're on the court when you're swimming when you're running whatever it is but you don't drink those drinks with lunch or with mm. dinner or as a snack. It's like it's it's a different different uh, uh, use for it. But because yeah. it's it's promoted, where you everybody can drink it for sure. When you do sports, this is sports drink. It's for mm. energy sports drink. But it's becoming like it sells it sells everywhere. The way it's presented, it's mis misunderstood for people. We know that companies are targeting kids and they're using aspirational sports stars to try and entice them because of that comparative behavior. You know, if I if I eat or drink this way, then I'll become insert whoever. Um, there's a really interesting study, and I know you'll be interested in this as you know you're interested in uh, nutrition for for children, given your your, your son. Um, the Amsterdam uh, Thousand Day Study that looked at removing junk food advertising, replacing uh, sugar sweetened beverages and juices and stuff in schools, and just replacing it with water, and also giving the kids' parents some basic level of dietary uh, training. They managed to reduce their obesity levels massively there was a significant drop in childhood obesity so we know the mechanism we, we know the processes we know the actions that should be we should be taking to prevent our kids and creating another generation that is overweight and obese to an unhealthy level um but we just don't do it you know there's there's a huge i mean this is a whole other chat in, in itself about the impact of these kind of drinks on behavior in kids attention span as well as weight as well um so yeah 100 we need to start be, we need to actually figure out who where the responsibility lies you know is it with us is it with people promoting it is it with the drinks manufacturers is it with the government or is it actually everyone's and i think it's probably everyone involved little by little there's like your mission of starting something in medical school about educating people through you know, going through courses of cooking and, and taking nutritional classes is a part where it can go into a spiral. And the more we kind of have those conversation through a platform, I don't know, even even if it helps 10 kids to maybe kind of at least be aware of what, what, what I'm trying to come across, that's already that's already progress. And then maybe maybe it develops more. But the more we have conversations, I think that you can't stop the global, you know, um, 
companies to do that because they're just so much bigger than that. But I think if they are more conscious of just educating, it's not about like not doing all, you know, cold turkey, you quit, nothing. Yeah, like just being more aware how to balance. And if you want to have this once in a while, it's not a problem. Just, but enjoy it. When you do do that, enjoy it. And then, yeah. you know, just, just that, just that that um, that balance because it's what was interesting for me when when I was pregnant and all the time you hear those conversations oh you eat for two and uh, no not really <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not for two um, at all and matter of fact the, you only for women like in third trimester you only need 500 extra calories which is not that much and that's no, like exactly. the most you can you can do but the idea of it is like no like you just need to eat make sure you eat my grandma was like Nika, you eat you need to eat it's like i said grandma how about i'm okay like you know yeah. what i'm good like i don't need a dozen of donuts uh to have for my baby to be like <laughs> diabetic after when 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 they uh, when they are born so yeah. i wanted to also like kind of bring that 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 point of for for women is understanding how important your nutrition what you put in your body when you're in such developing precious state and the other point where i found like for me personal is not even necessarily when you're pregnant is the time before where mm. where it helps you to already be in a healthier body that helps maybe that's my theory i haven't i don't know what i'm talking about but it's my theory that helps you to uh to stay healthier and for and for for your child as well because i mean what you put in that's what that's what goes to them as well we we know that that's you know the the process even after that when women are breastfeeding and and etc and etc what you eat is gonna is gonna obviously uh have an effect on on your baby but i just feel like some conversations are just not spoken enough and yeah you know it, me being as an athlete to talk about something like this is is i want to learn even more about myself but like sharing those experience for some reason it has maybe a bit bigger weight even though i'm exactly the same person as another mom who's yeah, done yeah. that many more times probably than me <laughs> but yeah. yeah i feel like there is a, a, some sort of responsibility to have those conversations and, and that's why i want to learn my for myself i want to bring that kind of awareness to people for for them to hear it maybe once again but maybe from a different perspective well, no, I, th I think what you said there about that common myth of eating for two is really important because a lot of women still believe that and a lot of the older generations of, of women, mothers, grandmothers, still still purport that as well. So that's really important to establish right from the start. It's around like 400, 500 calories and then that changes throughout the next two trimesters. Post uh, birth, if you're breastfeeding, your nutritional uh, requirements actually do go up as well. So that's when people think, oh, I don't need to eat as much anymore. Actually, no, you, you, if you're breastfeeding, you know, you, you do need to keep up your energy intake. And rather than like bringing everything down to sort of energy requirements, I when I talk to, to women and, and anyone of that matter, 
with food, I kind of give them ideas of like what they should be eating. What does a plate look like? You know, what kind of ingredients should you be using uh, to to make the healthiest, happiest, uh, healthiest plate possible? You obviously have a different range of of um, patients. Mm. Do you find any difference of men? Birth, uh, not versus women, men and women, like their, uh, the way they uh, kind of receive information are women or men are more um, kind of easier to maybe incorporate those changes. Yeah, like the, the stereotypical sort of consultation with like men and women is like men will just ask minimal questions and just kind of take the medication and not really ask too much else about it women i find are a lot more inquisitive and actually i i'm trying to encourage men and this isn't all men and this isn't certainly isn't all women either but i'm trying to encourage men to be more inquisitive to be a bit more in tune to come forward a bit more we, we tend to hide things um not only physical but also mental and there's there's a number of campaigns as i know there are in the states as well trying to encourage men to get more involved in mental health conversations because we're more likely to suffer mental health issues uh, and we're less likely to talk about it. When it comes to food, <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. I, like, I, I speak to a lot of women and they usually ask the questions about diet before I even talk about it, which I, and I, I love that because it shows that that person in front of me is motivated to, to start making changes straight away. Whereas with men, I kind of have to entice them. They always say like, you know, oh, yeah, I know I could eat better or I don't really like, you know, the salads and all that kind of stuff. You know, like, well, maybe you can make a healthy curry. Maybe, you know, you, you can have a little bit of spice in it. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize that could be made healthy. And then you kind of get them chatting, you open them up that way. Um, it depends on the person, I guess. Yeah. And you talk a lot about the, um, about different spices. Yeah. And, uh, so tell me a little bit more about the importance of spices. Um, your background is in Indian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both so there's a lot of spices varieties in 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 cooking, and and I really I really love that aspect because it just brings so much, you know, flavor, but like is as you said, like color to it and mm. culture to it because. I'm sure there's, it's pretty hard when you do have certain cultures and the differences between people and the way they eat. Uh, spices is definitely one of them. You can cook uh, same chicken, but you add like many spices, and it's completely different. Uh, I can't handle all the Indian spices because it's <laughs> a bit too much for me. <laughs> but the beauty of it, and when, when it's really cooked well and it's done well, um, it's amazing. And in London, I eat Indian food because it's incredible. Everywhere yeah. else, it's like, it's maybe it's not as good. So I don't want to, like, I don't really want to try. But yeah. in England, and a friend of mine who, who is Indian, that food is just absolutely incredible. Indian food is sort of what I was brought up on, but my mum my actually was really experimental as a cook. So she would cook Italian food. American food, British food, and we'd have like a real mixture of different plates. And I learned to play around with spices through her because like you said, you can make like a chicken 
completely different just from the different spices and blends and the the, the way in which you introduce it. So the, the reason why I use spices it, from a flavor point of view and a culinary point of view, you know, it just adds so much beauty to food. It adds so much more color and depth and, and the enjoyment of food. But from a medicinal sort of nutritional point of view, Spices are concentrated sources of phytonutrients as well as micronutrients. So the phytonutrients are different chemicals that you find in plants that confer benefits to the human host, whether it be changing inflammation pathways, supporting immune health, or even things like changing the expression of your genes. And some of the the most normal kind of spices quote unquote things like caraway seeds or fennel seeds or you know a clove these are just as impressive as some of the more trendy spices like turmeric or chai mixes or cinnamon and sumac my general rule of thumb is try and get them as uh, as as many times as many opportunities as possible in your food because they confer antioxidant benefits inflammation uh, balancing benefits as well as the digestibility of food i try and encourage people to get uh, experimental because that's just one of the best ways in which you can enjoy food uh, the, both the beauty and the functional benefits um, and just it makes everything so much more exciting uh, Vika I'm dying to find out like what your Indian friend cooked you because I have no idea about the names it was <laughs> it did contain chickpeas spinach okay. uh, potatoes carrots it was all mixed together it was incredible and the non bread, oh my god, that's yeah, that's that's something else. That sounds like sag alu matar. So sag is spinach, alu is potato, and matar is peas. Um, and and I can imagine the spice mix that they use. It's not too hot. It's it's quite mild. It, it's a good like level of spice. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, I love ch- chicken masala. And, I mean, I'll I'll try. It. I, I'm pretty good with trying stuff it's just not too hot uh not that hot not, not yeah. too hot yet. Yeah. but you know what one thing from your ted talk which was very very interesting for me is what you talked about the genes change mm. can you elaborate a little bit on that because i'm very very fascinated by that but nutrigenetics is basically the study of how food and the environment can change the expression of your genes so your genes are inherited by mother and father those cannot be changed right the sequence does not change but the expression and the proteins that those genes code for can be changed and there was some really interesting work in the late 90s i believe by dean ornish and his colleagues where they actually showed that transitioning to a predominantly plant-based diet was able to turn tumor suppressor genes on and tumor promoter genes off so you can literally change those to create an outcome that lowers the risk of things like cancer but there's a whole plethora of other things that you can do all the things that we're talking about earlier quality fats largely plants lots of colors minimizing refined sugar intake um eating lots of different types of fibers these are all things that are universally beneficial for improving the expression of your genes we we talked for so so many like really interesting um topics uh, i will need like a second to kind of process all of that but i wanted to ask you i know you're coming out with the with a new book this is your third book 
Yes, it is. So yeah, yeah. let me ask you a bit of a more fun question, lighter question. What are your, um, first off, from your first two books, what are your top three favorite recipes? <laughs> and one recipe that you would choose for me based on our conversation and what you kind of learned a bit about me. Okay, cool. Um, so I have, uh, an, it's from my first couple of books, I would choose the Masaman Basanat Curry. Um, it's a really easy recipe. Uh, it's got the Masaman Curry paste that I teach you how to make as well. Uh, and from the second one is um, the Greek giant beans, which is like giant beans, a bit of honey, oregano, uh, fresh tomato paste is delicious. Um, and the new book is called 321. So it's three portions of fruit and vegetables, two servings per recipe and only using one pan. Because one of the, the biggest things that I've, I've come across with patients is they don't have the motivation, the mental energy uh, to, to cook. And then the washing up is a big thing. So if you just do it all in one pan, you can make curry, stews, casseroles, anything like that. It's yeah, that, that's, that's the premise. perfect. Because I just bought <laughs> off of an Instagram, they sold me on those commercial things. Yeah. The pan that can do it all. And I just yeah. got it. So once I go home after this tournament, I'm going to cook this recipe. So give me one of the recipes that you would cook um, that I uh, for me. So in one okay. pan. In one pan, I've got one of the most amazing curry recipes. It's not hot. But it, it's absolutely delicious. It's an almond chicken curry. Do you eat chicken? Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, you do. Yeah. <laughs> almond chicken curry. It's got a couple of spices that you might need to get from an Indian specialty store, but you can buy it online. Um, it's got uh, garam masala, cinnamon, um, a little bit of uh, nutmeg, um, some cumin spices, and it's got ground almonds. So the ground almonds that you toast in a little bit of oil at the start, they thicken the curry. And honestly, it's like this unctuousness. It's got like sour notes in it. It's yeah, I, it's it's one recipe I, I wish I could cook for everyone because it's just mind blowing and it's not too hot either. So I think you're gonna like that one. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna make that. And then I'm gonna <laughs> post it. I'm gonna post it and I'm gonna send it to you. Nice. And and I'm I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna do it with my mom because she's my mom loves cooking. She, she like her. She told me whenever whenever I if I get married whenever I get married her uh, gifts for me will be a cookbook. Amazing. Like she, all the recipes that she gathered from like for forever. That's that's gonna be her gift to me. I said, Mom. Okay. So you think that once I get married, all I'm gonna be doing is Don't cooking is or cooking. what? <laughs> <laughs> but that's gonna be that's gonna be really interesting i, I love yeah. it i'm gonna i'm gonna try some some new recipes and since i don't really know many indian restaurants where where i live, live now i'm gonna yeah. cook at home good good well i i'm gonna send you that recipe early so you get to try out before anyone else perfect <laughs> uh Rupi, i have one last segment for my show i okay. asked we i've learned a lot about you already but I asked this few questions that kind of, they're very simple, they're fun, but they helped me to get to know you even better. So do you mind to, to do yeah, this last thing? let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So what is your favorite word? My favorite word is a word 
uh, called mellifluous. So mellifluous comes from the Greek for mel being honey and fluous being flow. So it literally means like sweet flowing. And it kind of just like comes off your tongue. And I, just, I, I don't know, I, I read it in a book when I was a kid. And I remember asking my mom about it and we looked it up and mellifluous is just always stuck in my head. Um, so yeah, sweet flowing. Uh, it's just like somebody has a mellifluous way of talking. And, and yeah, that's the context. Which when you said that, it. I thought about the dessert, the, you know, the French <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what I thought. I was like, okay. yeah, yeah, there you go, sweet, <laughs> perfect. Uh, okay, what is your least favorite word? My my least favorite word is um, well, there's a lot of bad words. I won't say, but that's my least favorite word. <laughs> my least favorite word is grunge, like grunge music. And like, I like grunge music. I, I mean, I used to listen to Nirvana and, and all these other bands and stuff, but grunge just has that like kind of ugliness to it, attached to it. I don't know really where it comes from, but yeah, grunge is is my least favorite word. Okay. Uh, what is uh, one uh, profession besides your, besides your own you would like to do? I would like to do um, something really creative in um, creating advertising commercials. I, I think I would just love it, like paint, like doing stories and you know, filming and all that aspect and, and screenshot. I, I, yeah, I would love to do something like that. What is one profession you would never do? So, uh, so I would never be a nursery teacher. So, so I, I work in pediatrics, right? In the hospital. And I, and I, you know, I love seeing kids and, you know, one-on-one it's great. But honestly, when you're in the waiting room, it's just pure noise. And just to deal with like 20, 30 kids running around and being responsible for them, you know, I, I couldn't do it. I, I, I yeah, I'd, I'd be too stressed. <laughs> That's a tough one. They're 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 heroes. Like every time I see, um, uh, I love my son, but sometimes the patience is like it's Honestly, really testing. It's you really have to have testing. so much patience with kids. Yeah, it's like yeah. It's, uh, and they and, and and when it's like your own, they know how to push your buttons because they're like you, so they know exactly yeah. what. So <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Definitely. What uh, another question is, what uh, quality are like personality trait um that uh kind of you admire about people uh so i have a couple um it's it's creativity bravery and entrepreneurship those those are three things that i i think are just amazing because you've got to be brave enough to share your creativity and entrepreneurship allows you to scale your creativity so you know some of the most influential people in the world have have had a nice combination of all of those um and i just i really see that spark in a lot of people and uh, yeah i love it okay and what same kind of quality turns you off from people uh i would say ungratefulness <laughs> so you know I, I walk around and maybe it's because I work as, as a doctor and, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I see a lot of despair and desperation. And 
it makes me so grateful for all the things that we take for granted, right? Just the ability to walk outside your house, the ability to use your legs, the ability to breathe unaided, you know, all these different things that we do. we're so lucky, we're so fortunate, we've all run the lottery ticket. And yeah, I, I just feel a lack of gratitude for all those simple things is a bit of a turnoff for me. Yeah. I agree. Um, again, the last one is, uh, is an interesting one. Um, <laughs> if, let's say that God exists and uh, you arrive in heaven to pearly gates, what would you like God to tell you? Uh, <laughs> what would I like God to tell you? Uh, I'd like God to ask what took me so long and I'll respond by saying why well, I ate so many fruits and vegetables and I had a really good lifestyle that I lived for ages. <laughs> Okay. All right. That's that's good. That's good. Well, this was my this was my last question. Um, I mean, I would I would talk to you for a lot longer, um, but maybe we'll uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Definitely. Yeah. But thank you so much for being on my show. I had so much fun talking to you. I feel like I've learned a lot. As I said, I'll need a bit more time to process everything. But Absolutely. it was a uh, pure pleasure, and uh, I can't wait for the recipes. I'm yeah. gonna share with you my my work of art <laughs> yeah. when, I, when I'm done. And uh, I'm so excited for you for your another book and everything that you're on the mission for. It's 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 really inspiring and exciting, and we need more people in the world like you. Thank you, Bert. That means a lot. And uh, I'm waiting for your Chilean sea bass as well. I haven't forgotten about that. <laughs> Next time I'm in London, we will definitely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Think About It. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. This will help us to know what maybe other topics you guys want to hear or how you like the show so we can improve. This will be really, really appreciated. I'll be talking more about this podcast over on my Instagram. So please come and join the conversation with me there. Thank you.